Well, I want to welcome you to Christ Journey Church from wherever you may be joining us today, whether it be here at the Gables campus, Kindle campus to the south, we love you, or whether it be somewhere on this great, big, beautiful planet through Church Online, we want to welcome you to our church and I greet you today in the spirit of Jesus Christ and his love as we think about the foundational passage from Psalms on which we have built this series today. Beginning in Psalm 127, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Well, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a heritage from the Lord. They are a special possession. Even the psalmist writes, children are like arrows in a warrior's hands. And when properly released, an arrow soars to provide and defend and advance and protect and even eventually win the victory. I think most parents wish these dreams over their children. Your parents for you, you for your children, and you for your grandchildren, and still others of you for your great-grandchildren. Arrows represent every single one of us. And as arrows become released, as each one of us have become released, our intention should be that we soar across the generations and build upon the previous ones before us, our parents, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles, our tias and tios, so that we may build our homes and prepare the way for our children and grandchildren ahead of us. As an arrow yourself, or as one who may be in the process now of releasing arrows, or for those of you who may one day hope to release arrows, how might you both soar and release your arrows to love across the generations for the sake of Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom on earth into new communities and to new cultures and even into future generations ahead of you, some of which you may never meet. For an arrow goes where the warrior cannot go. And together, our hope is that our children will go places and accomplish things that we will never accomplish or do ourselves. And the healthiest strongest arrows soar to provide and defend and protect and advance and to win the victory, all aimed at loving across the generations and influencing future ones for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. That's the bullseye. That's where we're going. That's the direction in which an arrow should go. Someone did it for you and we must now do this for others. I once heard someone say, Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. Our message must continue onward into the future generations as we seek to love across them. That's our bullseye. That's what we're about. In 1926, a group of families planted Christ Journey Church in Coral Gables, Florida with that bullseye in mind. And that message has been given during eras of depression, World War II, Vietnam, the sexual revolution, the Cold War era, 9-11, global terrorism. And to this very day, the message continues. And we find ourselves in, in the same day in which this message goes forth. We are about loving across the generations to help our children, our families, our friends, and our city and those around the world help find and follow Jesus Christ. At Christ's journey, we are a family together. If you are within the sound of my voice, we are a family together. 
Since moving to Miami a few years ago, one of the many characteristics of Latin culture that I have come to respect and appreciate so much, in addition to the food and the art and the culture and the passion, is the cross-generational involvement of the family. How wonderful to witness abuelas and abuelos, tias and tias and primos all coming together under the banner of their united family identity with all of the ups and downs and twists and turns and joys and sorrows that come with that. How wonderful. Some of you know my in-laws, the Shearheart clan from within our church community. Now fourth generation Miami themselves, they embody so many of the rich characteristics that, that we value so much within Latin culture. And as an Irishman myself, I, I'm still learning so much about this wonderful place. And I feel so grateful for the acceptance and the love that this church has shown my family and me as we root our family and let our family tree continue to expand across the generations. From three daughters, my mother and father-in-law now boast 12 grandchildren, 12, 12 grandchildren. In that picture, my son Jacob isn't yet in there. That was taken last summer, but that's not all. On my father-in-law's side of the family tree, every 10 years, his family gathers together for a gigantic Shearheart family reunion in San Antonio, Texas. And in 2016, over a thousand of us gathered together. And that was just the ones who could attend. And my little family is here on the bottom left. What a momentous occasion. How, how beautiful to see his family gathering together across the generations. But what happens when the family tree becomes fractured or becomes split apart altogether? What happens when it becomes uprooted and from any number of issues that may or may not include hardships that lead families into becoming part of the 42%? Like for me. I am one of 31 million children in our country, 31 million children, 42% who grew up in a fatherless home, 42%. As a church, may we never forget that number. In Miami-Dade County alone, our home where we live, just last month in March of 2018, According to the American Community Survey, an estimated 353,000 households in Miami-Dade County, comprising almost 1 million people in our home, live in single-parent-led households. How long, O oh Lord? How long? As a teenager, I can vividly remember one profound moment in particular when the gravity the weight of fatherlessness sobered me to the extent of its effects on a child. I remember driving in a car when I was 17 on my way home from some event when the radio announcer came on the radio and started listing statistics like these, 50% more likely to develop health problems, 300% more likely to need psychological help, twice as likely to commit suicide, twice as likely to drop out of high school. I, I've since updated these facts from when I first heard them 20 years ago, but they still arrest my heart in the same way they did back then. And in the car that evening, as I listened to the announcer, an announcer rattle off these statistics, I remember thinking, what could possibly what could, what could possibly be the catalyst for such destructive, debilitative behavior? What could possibly be the reason 
for these children growing up in this kind of environment. And then as I thought that toward the end of the radio commercial, the announcer said, and these children grew up in fatherless homes. And I thought to myself, I grew up in a fatherless home, but how did I not become one of those statistics? I began to weep for those children. I began to weep with the emotion of the moment. And I began to thank God for graciously sparing my brother and me from becoming one of those overwhelming and certain statistics. That moment will forever stay with me. And I resolved myself that I will never become one of those statistics, but instead I will devote my life to helping those who feel hopeless in the midst of it. But that question, how did I not go down that road? That question, it stayed with me for months. It sat at the forefront of my mind for months. How did my brother and I not become one of those statistics? How did that happen? How, how, did, how did we not go down that road? Now we certainly dealt with our fair share a uh, number of issues, that's for sure. And we will forever carry with us some amount of redeemed pain in our lives. Of course we will. But after giving this question much consideration over months and even years, some compelling factors be became apparent that influenced my brother and me from going down different paths that kept us from the destruction and the debilitation of what can happen in an environment like that. And one factor in particular rose to the top for me as I began to think through that. And it was this, the love that we felt across the generations. Full transparency, my, my father's divorce from my family felt like an amputation. It felt like part of my body got, caught up, got cut off. It was just cut away from me. And perhaps you've experienced something similar in your life, some kind of void in your life. I think very few of us, if any of us, arrive at adulthood without some kind of wounding. Yet the good news of what we believe about Jesus says that God can restore and even fill the deepest voids of our lives. Thank God. And for my brother and me, God did exactly that through the applied love of father figures from across the generations. After my parents' divorce, unbeknownst to me at the time, my mother leaned into her instinctive guidance that I call the Holy Spirit to facilitate these wonderful opportunities for her sons to feel the love across the generations from other men who could help fill the gap that our father chose not to fill. She rallied other men like my grandpas, my great-grandpa, Ashford Broadwater. Some of you might remember Ashford Broadwater from a message that I gave a few months back, a man who loved Jesus, his family, his garden, and his rhubarb pie. My mom also rallied my uncles, men from our extended family tree, along with other men like my pastors, Gerald Morgan and George Lynch and other churchmen like Floyd Milhone, Harvey Callahan, Dan Decker, men from our church, the village of the Holy Spirit, along with my Boy Scout Senior Scout Master Jeff Evans from other extended circles who gave positive, impactful influences on my life. I wanted to say each one of their names out loud because they've earned a place in my heart forever. Like antibodies, God used these men from across the generations to begin healing my father wounds and restoring my heart and my soul back to health. And some of these men, like my Uncle Phil and my Uncle Richard, like George, like Dan, like Jeff, they were the same age as my father and truly father figures for my brother and me. But for others, other of these men, like Floyd Milhone, who served in World War I, my grandpas who served in the Navy, look at these handsome gents. 
Look at these guys. My mom's father lied about his age so that he could enter into the Navy at 17 and fight in World War II. While my other grandfather served during Vietnam, earning the rank of master chief aboard a destroyer. And my great-grandparents who told us stories about their grandparents fighting in the Civil War. Wow. And my brother and I needed every single one of these men. Some of these men were 60, 70, and 80 years older than us. And we needed every single one of them, both the older and the younger together. They each served a profound role in our healing adolescent growth and spiritual formation. These men rooted our identities into a deeper family and community history, which helped my brother and me keep a wider perspective beyond just ourselves and our own grief. When my brother and I think about these men, when we reflect together about growing up with these men in our lives, truly, we, we both agree that these men saved our lives. Truly, no exaggeration. These men saved our lives. Without these men in my life, I don't know where I would be. And I believe God used each one of these men to redeem our despair into healing comfort so that my brother and I could then share that same healing comfort with others. That's 2 Corinthians chapter one coming alive and real in our lives. And that's the bullseye. That's the bullseye. That's where we're going. That's love in action. That's love across the generations. That's love through time. That's the tangible hands and feet of Jesus walking and healing through time. How you love right now, how you love right now across the generations compounds over time, like compound interest. Your love across the generations yields a long-term eternal return. And wherever you find yourself amidst the generations, I want you to know that your presence, your love, your investment, your faith, still matters. It still matters for your family. It still matters for our church, whether you are 12 years old or 112 years old, you matter to our church. In fact, the apostle Paul wrote about just this idea in his second letter to a young pastor named Timothy. From what we can gather from context clues in his letter, circumstances surrounding Timothy at the time had caused him to doubt his calling as a pastor and probably his faith altogether. So much that Paul began his letter straightforwardly addressing this issue by reminding Timothy of his identity in Christ through how others across the generations rooted his faith into Christ's love. Listen to how masterfully Paul interweaves this concept through the opening lines of his letter. Listen to this, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life, the very promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son. Paul points forward to the upcoming generation and shares a sonship of the faith with the young man, raising him up into that same familial spirit the same message that get passed down from generation to generation. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. And so now Paul is pointing backwards, recognizing that everything that they have up until this point has come from the faithful trust of his ancestors behind him. With the clear conscience, 
As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears, Timothy. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. This is a a reciprocal relationship between Paul and Timothy. You can feel the sweetness shared between the two of them. Among all of his companions, Timothy held the dearest place in Paul's heart. Paul first met Timothy on his second missionary journey. And from what we can gather from other letters by Paul, Timothy declared his faith in Christ after Paul's first visit with him because by Paul's second visit to Timothy, he was an established follower of Jesus with a strong reputation in his hometown. In both of Paul's letters to him, he refers to Timothy as a son in the faith and writes about finding great encouragement from Timothy, great encouragement from him and his family's faith, saying in the very next line of his letter, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Here Paul attributes Timothy's faith formation to his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois. Don't miss this. Paul is is showing how love happens across the generations. You know, we don't know much about these two women, Eunice and Lois, but their names alone say it all. In the Greek, Eunice means joyous victory and Lois means more desirable, more desirable than gold, more desirable than wealth, who knows, but more desirable. From their names alone, you can feel the strength of these women, feel the hope of these women, the the nurture and the love they must have shown upon their son and grandson, Timothy, who they instilled the joyous victory of Christ, which is certainly more desirable than gold. Devoutly Jewish, Lois and Eunice raised Timothy in a home that honored God and obeyed the law. For in chapter three of this same letter, Paul wrote this, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. The faithfulness, The faithfulness of Lois and Eunice created the foundation for Timothy to eventually receive Jesus as his true king and later become a co-minister with Paul and eventually rise into leadership over the church in Ephesus. Lois and Eunice faithfully released their arrow and they created the seedbed for Timothy to grow. That's the bullseye. That's the bullseye. And while only the Holy Spirit can awaken our hearts and open our eyes to the salvation and glory of Jesus, for those of us who know Christ, we've been given a critical role, a critical role to love across the generations and guide our arrows as close as humanly possible to the bullseye. Lois and Eunice did this for Timothy and you and I must do this for our children. We must do this for our arrows. But before Timothy became one of the first leaders of the early church movement, as a young man, we also read that he battled against various illnesses and anxieties. We don't know why. We don't know much more about Timothy's history or life that would have led to such infirmities, but we do know that Timothy eventually overcame these issues. And we do know that he overcame them through the power of Christ at work within him and the rootedness, accompanied by the rootedness of his family's love and faith. 
For Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also for this reason. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame, to give, to give nurture to the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, Timothy, an act which symbolizes the passing down and the commissioning of one to another for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. No, it doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. For this reason, I remind you, Paul says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, gives us love, and gives us self-discipline through which the family's love across the generations may form and influence the faith-filled lives of young men and women to flourish into adulthood. For this reason, Paul says, that's the bullseye. That's the bullseye. What a powerful calling for the family. What a powerful image of what happens when the family unites together under one united banner of Jesus Christ, pursuing life and faith toward that end. You know, as a young man, admittedly, who grew up in a fatherless home, I had no idea what this meant. I, I, didn't, I didn't think much about how God considers the family. I knew God personally, but I could not comprehend how God could be so for the family when in my situation, all I saw was brokenness. I, I just couldn't comprehend it. I couldn't comprehend how God would be for the family until I started studying the scriptures beginning all the way in the beginning in the Old Testament. Beginning when God gave Adam and Eve the charge to multiply and govern creation in Genesis chapter one. What is it? That, that's the formation of the first family to come together, to unite together in one flesh and to multiply and then to govern creation. That's the formation of family. And then when God first made contact with Abraham and promised generational familial blessing in Genesis chapter 12, which God ultimately fulfilled through his incarnate son, Jesus Christ, further revealing himself to us as our heavenly daddy, as Paul wrote again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Throughout all of the ups and downs and joys and sorrows of the human experience, God has always made good, always made good, always made good on his promise and showed himself as a faithful, promise-keeping father, loving us across the generations, even going to death on a cross for us, just to prove his love for every single one of us across the generations. God has and will always intend for the family structure to serve as the rich soil, as the firm foundation, as the protective quiver for the faith, the character, integrity, calling, and vocation of our children to bloom into adulthood and be released into a world on gospel mission for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom here and now. That's the bullseye. That's, that's it. That's the bullseye. And for Paul, mentioning Eunice and Lois here meant way more than just a mere passing mention of two women who helped form the faith of Timothy. Way more than that. For Paul wanted Timothy and every future reader of his letter to know that our parents 
our grandparents, our extended families, our friendships, and our mentors serve an absolutely mission-critical role within the kingdom of God as the bearers and cultivators of our faith. The responsibility, hear me now, the responsibility of faith cultivation belongs first and foremost with the parents, with extended family, and with other family-type figures in the life of a child. And though the church is the gathered and sent body of Christ in the world and a village for families to find Christ-centered community, the onus and responsibility of raising our children into a Christ-centered life to release our arrows into the world onto gospel mission for cultivating a faithful, open environment for young minds and hearts to form and for leading others into a relationship with him that each belongs to the parents, extended family, and family-type figures of our children. That's why the orange philosophy matters so much to us. Orange matters so much to us because when the light of the church, represented by the color yellow, and the love of the family, represented by the color red, come together and engage each other, then something greater forms. The dynamic color orange. As children find their place, in the Christ story. This way of doing family together, this way of living life together, this abolishes any kind of isolation, any kind of fear, any kind of anxiety, any statistic that you would read about children growing up in a home fractured by whatever kind of issue may come its way. For the apostle John wrote, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we haven't yet fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other. Why? Because he first loved us. <laughs> to love across the generations mean that any one of the 353,000 households in our county can experience our church, our village, as the safest, most loving community in the county. It means that children can find mother figures and father figures and grandparent figures to help them piece back the void made by an absent parent. It means that those living with fear can find freedom. It means those who feel isolated can find real and true relationships here within the community of faith. It means that we can create a seedbed for Jesus to grow redeemed and restored family trees that provide shade across the generations. That's the bullseye. And in Christ's journey, we are a family together. We're not a collection of families coming together and just doing life randomly. We are a family doing life together. That is what the church does. That's the bullseye. And if this is your first time with us, then I wanna welcome you to the family table. Some of us have been at it for decades. Some of us have been here around the table for decades and we want you to know that you're welcome. There's a place for you around the table. We're here for each other. Like the doctor who leads teenagers into a growing relationship with Jesus. Like the mom who leads preschool-aged large groups. Like the grandmother who faithfully holds babies every Sunday. Like the couple who disciples young adults in their home. 
Like the high school teenager who sings silly songs and fam jams for the sake of our elementary school kids. Like the real estate broker who reads the Bible story faithfully every week to a group of special needs kids in our special discoveries environment. We're here for each other. We need each other. Sometimes we need a shoulder, but other times we need to be the one who gives the shoulder, who lends the shoulder out. We need some of you to rise up in our church and to share your shoulders with our kids, with our teenagers, with their young adults. Some of you need to follow that prompting in your heart right now. Some of you need to follow the prompting that has been stirring up within you for weeks or months to get involved in the life transformational mission of working with our families in this church. Don't neglect it any longer. Don't neglect it any longer. And still others of you need to come with me to the five o'clock where we can help shape the lives of our young adults and make change in this city for generations to come. Just imagine Just imagine what our city might look like with churches who open their hearts to children and their families where men, men serve as the guardians of faith and the guardians of relationship where they're not seen as suspicious, but where in fact they are the guardians of the community. Imagine that where grandparents and great-grandparents feel purposeful and invigorated in their generational calling and where any single mom where any single mom can feel safe enough to come alongside some other men to help raise their two boys. Imagine what that kind of community might look like. That's our church. That's who we are. And that's our bullseye. That's what we're about. If you've ever felt disconnected, then let's change that today. Let's change that right now. Whether you're single, divorced, whether it's complicated, doesn't matter. You've got a seat at the table. We're a family together to our heavenly father who loved and who continues to love, who will always love us across the generations. We give you thanks. We give you our, our thanks for never letting us go. We give thanks for creating the, the wonder of the church for the village of faith. God, we thank you for creating the family good and for doing everything, stopping at nothing to redeem us, to rescue us, to put us back together, to help fill the deep voids and to give us a vision of what what life could be. When we make our lives safe in you and we call upon you as Lord, God, we thank you. We thank you. Lord, help us, help us lean on this vision. And wherever we've experienced brokenness in our family, Lord, we just ask that you apply your healing balm of grace and forgiveness upon us. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you fill the deep voids of our lives and that you give us comfort so that we may then extend that comfort to others. And for some of you here today, perhaps this is your first time. Perhaps you're hearing this message of hope for the first time. And if that's you, then I wanna invite you into the community. And I wanna offer this prayer for you. And if you wanna take this first step in your faith, then would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I've recognized that I've gone my own way 
that perhaps I've been the one who's caused pain in my family. Perhaps I've been holding on to pain and brokenness that I should not be holding on to. And so Lord, I wanna invite you into my life, invite your Holy Spirit to heal me, to forgive me. Lord, I've been going my way for far too long, but I know thou that calling you Lord means freedom. And so Lord, help me take this first step in my faith as you fill me with your Holy Spirit, beginning this day and forever. If you prayed that prayer with me, then would you allow me to bless you by raising your hand? If you're joining us at the Kindle campus or church online, there's a pastor waiting for you. Church online, there's an orange banner that you can click on to say that today I've made my decision of faith. Thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you for going all the way for us through your son, Jesus. God, thank you for giving us a vision and a calling. And so Lord, now we ask that you fill us with your courage and you fill us with your boldness as a people, as individuals, as families, and as one church seeking to bear witness to your name and fight for your kingdom and help others find their comfort, their healing, their grace and salvation in you as we make this prayer in your name. Amen.